would you please turn to or scroll to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. If you're wondering where the gospel of Luke is, it's in your New Testament, second half of your Bible. Luke is the third book in that New Testament, and we're going to be looking at chapter 13 this morning. And if you are alive in this place, if I've got a proactive church in this place, can you give God a big shout in this place right now? I said, if I've got a proactive church in this place, can you give God a big shout in this place right now? Amen. 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 We believe that if you want to make the most of your time in church, you want to be proactive. Everyone say proactive. Proactive means you're not afraid to shout to God like we did just now. Proactive means you're not afraid to say amen when we say amen. Everyone say amen. Amen simply means I agree, and when you say I agree, when you say amen, you're taking ownership of what we're talking about, you're resonating with what we're learning, and that's how we open up our heart, and so don't even wait for the pastor to say amen, you can say amen even before that if something resonates with you, it's because it's okay to respond to God, when you say it's okay to respond to God. It's not just okay, it's good, it's important, and it's necessary if you want to grow. Uh, by proactive, I mean don't be afraid to take some good notes. I hope you take some good notes this morning. By you know, being uh, proactive, I mean don't be afraid to sit in the front. Praise God, we've got people sitting in the front this morning. And so we're in a proactive place right now. And with that in mind, I want to take you to Luke chapter 13 this morning. Before we read this passage out, let me ask you a question to set things up for this morning. Is You know there are the five senses. Uh, those five senses are there's sight, there's taste, there's touch, there's smell. What's the last one? There's hearing, okay? Uh, and of these five senses, just out of curiosity, do you have one that's especially strong? You know, kind of like maybe Captain Marvel or, you know, just feel like you, just, you have a especially strong sense of sight or a especially strong, strong sense of touch? Or do you have an especially weak sense? Let, let me tell you, for me, um, I find that my weakest sense for some reason, when God was doling out the sense of smell, for some reason, I didn't get very much of it. I'm not really sure why. My hearing is very, very sensitive, but my sense of smell has always been uh, a little bit weak, and that can be a blessing and a curse at the same time. The blessing is this, is that when there are bad smells, I'm usually the last to smell it, okay? And so I usually don't smell the bad smells that many of you guys smell, but the curse behind that or the problem behind that is that because I'm the last to smell it, people often think that I'm the source of that bad smell. And, and, and that's just something I've had to learn to live with. And, and you know, sometimes it, it works out in different ways with, with my sense of smell. Sometimes it surprises me how strong my sense of smell is. Sometimes it surprises me how weak my sense of smell is. But let me give you an example. Once I was going to the gym, uh, and uh, I uh, went into the gym, and as I'm passing through just a bunch of guys who are working out to go to my place where I want to go and work out, all of a sudden I just smell something really bad. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my. What was that? And, and I, look, I, I look behind me to the people that just passed by, and I saw this one guy who was sweating profusely, even more than I usually sweat when I'm on the stage, just sweating profusely, and, and he's a big guy, and, and, and you, know, he's, he's, you know, he's got patches all over his, you know, his t-shirt because he's just sweating so much, and I'm like, oh, man, and in my, in my heart, I'm like, oh, that's kind of gross, and, and I, I, and I kind of keep on going my own way, and, and, I, and, and you know, I, I found this, is that for some reason, even though my sense of smell is not used that strong, for some reason, I just kept on smelling this really bad smell coming from there, and, and I, I would be, I'd, be, I'd be lifting weights, and I'd be like, oh, man, I can hardly concentrate the smell so bad, and I'd, I'd kind of move a little bit further, and I could still smell it. I move even further, I'd still smell it. I'm like, this is really bothering me, and finally, I somehow got, got through the workout, and, and I, I'm, I'm passing by the people there, and kind of almost giving a weird look to, to one of the guys, and I'm like, oh, this is weird, and, 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 I, and I'm going out the gym, and I'm like, oh my goodness, that's, like, I can still smell it, and, 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 and I keep on walking, you know, through the foyer. I, I can smell it, I, I still, I, I walk out to the parking lot, I'm like, oh my goodness, like, why, why is the smell still there, and all of a sudden, I, I, I look down, I smelled my shirt. I'm like, oh, now I realize who was smelling the whole time. 
it wasn't any one of those guys. The problem was me. And I realized I was wearing an old shirt. I've, like, and I guess I hadn't washed it properly. And I was like, this is gross. I took the shirt off, like, you know, Incredible Hulk, and I changed into another shirt. And, and, and it was one of those uh, you know, times in my life when I realized that I had the wrong perspective the whole time is that I thought that I had figured it all out. I thought I knew what the problem was when, in fact, my perspective was wrong. And because I had a wrong perspective, it led me to a wrong direction. It caused me to make wrong judgments. It caused me to judge and to act and to feel and to behave in the wrong way. What I needed was a change of perspective. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Today, the message is called a change of perspective. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, I need a change of perspective? I need a change of perspective. Today we want to talk about a passage in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus meets some people who need a change of perspective. It's because in a very serious way, far more serious than what happened to me in the gym, these people that we're going to be talking about today who meet Jesus and talk with Jesus have the wrong perspective on themselves and on other people and life and God generally, and it leads them to the wrong direction. It causes them to make the wrong types of judgments and to feel, to act, and to decide in the wrong kinds of ways, and Jesus is there to help them have a change of perspective. And so with that in mind, would you help me read in this place and look at Luke chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 1 to 9 this morning. Let's read in a big loud voice as we go into it right now. 1, 2, 3, it says, Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should I use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Very famous passage from the Bible that we're looking at today. And see, here's the thing. For those of you who like figs, any, any people who like figs this morning? Any fig lovers here? Yeah, some of you guys love figs. I know my wife, she adores figs. Fig, Pastor Shar, her favorite food is figs. In fact, that's one way that I think she will be more like Jesus than me uh, is that in the love of figs. Jesus, I think his, possibly his favorite fruit was figs. He talks about figs a lot. He, you know, looks for figs a lot. And, and, and see, you know, I, I think Charlene and you know, Jesus, they could go on fig dates if they wanted to, uh, and I wouldn't be jealous because it's Jesus. And, and, and see, here's the thing. Today we're talking about figs and fig trees. Uh, before we get to that, though, let's understand why Jesus is talking about fig trees. Look at Luke chapter 13, verse 1 with me. Read it with me in a big, loud voice. One, two, three, it says, Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifice. See what's going on here. So you got to understand that at this time, Jesus is living in the land of Judea. Everyone say Judea. And here, there are thousands upon thousands of Jews who live in the region of Judea, which is under Roman rule. The Roman Empire has controlled the region of Judea, and to help them establish Roman control of this largely Jewish region, the Roman Empire installs a governor. His name is Pontius Pilate. Everyone say Pilate. 
And in fact, if you read the Gospels, you'll find that Pontius Pilate plays a crucial role later on in Jesus' crucifixion. But we're not going to get there yet. See, during this time, from about 26 AD to 36 AD, Pontius Pilate, he's the governor of the region of Judah, of Judea, and he is working on behalf of the Roman government. And this Pontius Pilate would often bump heads with the Jews living in the region of Judea. They would have a very hostile relationship, sometimes a violent relationship. You know, for, for example, there was once when Pontius Pilate, he wanted to build an aqueduct or a pipeline to go through Judea. He wanted to use Jewish funds to finance that project, and there was a huge protest. It's kind of similar to you know, what we see sometimes here in BC about pipelines and protests, and that was happening back in Pontius Pilate's time. Another one that we read of is right here in Luke chapter 13, where some Jews are talking with Jesus, about something that Pontius Pilate had done. See, what happened was this, is that there were some Jews from Galilee, that's a region in Judea, they're called Galileans, and they go to the temple in Jerusalem where they're giving their sacrifice to God. They're sacrificing animals, you know, doing these blood sacrifices, animal sacrifices to God, and in the middle of their worship service, Pontius Pilate has sent a, a, just a, a, an army to go in and to infiltrate their worship service and to cut down and slay worshipers in the middle of the worship service. And, and what's, what ends up happening is that, is that the blood of these worshipers gets mixed in with the blood of those very sacrifices that they are sacrificing. And the reason why these Jews are talking to Jesus about it is not just because it made headlines in the news back then, because, but they wanted to understand from Jesus' perspective, hey Jesus, what horrible thing did these Galileans do to deserve to be killed in this way? See, you ought to understand, back in Jesus' time, there was a prevailing belief that suffering was always the result of sin. That if you suffer, it's because you must have done something really, really bad. And see, that's not just an ancient idea. The fact is there are billions of people today who believe something similar. Those who believe in the law of karma would say that whatever suffering you go through in this lifetime is because you did something bad either before when you were younger or in a previous life, and now you're paying for your mistakes. And see, Jesus answers in verse 2. Read with me. What does he say? He says, Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. Stop right there. See, what does Jesus mean? See, Jesus is saying, hey guys, 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 do you honestly think that the reason why those Galilean Jews died while worshiping the temple is because they are much worse sinners than you? No, 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 no. Or, or, you know, there's those, remember guys, those 18 people who are in the Tower of Siloam, they're at the bottom of that tower, the tower crashes, it crumbles, it falls on them, and they die. Do you think that they were much, much worse sinners than all of you? And he says, in, in that case as well, no. And see, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is debunking two wrong perspectives that the Jews of that time had, and that many people have today. And we're going to look at each one of them one by one. The first wrong perspective, the first myth that a lot of people believe back then is this, write this down, when a person suffers, it is always because of that person's own sin. See, Jesus, his response is, you know what, this is an oversimplification of the problem of suffering. See, the truth is this, a person's suffering is not always the result of a person's sin. 
See, don't think that just because this person suffers that it's all because of their fault. It's all because of their karma, as some people say. Is that it's their mistakes they're paying for, therefore that's why they're in such a bad place right now. That somehow, somehow the measure of a person's sin is measured by the, the amount of their suffering. Is that how much suffering they go through reflects how much sin is in their life. No, that's not the case. See, does suffering, does, does sin lead to suffering? Yes, it does. But is our sin always the cause of our suffering? No, it's not. See, it's not that simple. If sin was the proper measure of our suffering, then what do you think of Jesus, who suffered more than any of us ever have or ever will? Was he a great, the greatest sinner of all? No, much the opposite. The Bible says he never sinned. Rather, he was dying for the sins of others. The fact is this. Sometimes we suffer because of our own sins and our own wrong choices. Sometimes we suffer because of the sins and wrong choices of other people. Sometimes God allows us to suffer for reasons that have nothing to do with any one particular person's sins, but it's because he has a greater purpose in somehow allowing that suffering. Now, you might be here in this place and going, well, you know what, Jabe, I don't know about that. Because how can God exist if there's just so much evil and suffering in this world? Have you ever thought that before? Have you ever had conversations with people about that before? Is that, you know, if there's so much evil and suffering out there in the world, how can God exist? See, while there are millions of people who believe in the law of karma, and they believe that suffering is the result of a sufferer's fault, but there's also a huge group of people in our world today who believe that, you know what, people are mostly innocent. And actually, when they're suffering, it's mainly it's, it's, it's mainly it's God's fault or it's proof that God doesn't exist. The, the, the assumption they make is this, is that if God is all-loving, then God would have the heart and the compassion to stop evil and suffering. If, if God is all-powerful, then God would have the ability and the wherewithal to stop evil and suffering. So the fact that there is evil and the fact that there is suffering shows that God isn't loving and that God isn't powerful or that God doesn't exist at all. That's the argument of the problem of evil, the problem of suffering. And my question for those of you in this place who think that way, who have that thought in your mind, is this, is what if there were good reasons for God, a loving, powerful God, to nonetheless allow evil and suffering to exist in this world. What if God had good reasons? As you think about even for yourself for a moment, for us as human beings, are there times when we will sometimes allow painful things to happen to us or to the people that we love? And sometimes, is that something that we do sometimes? Sometimes we do. And, and one reason we do it is not because we love pain or love suffering or we're sadists. It's not because, uh, you know, we you know, want to be cruel. But sometimes we allow painful things to happen to us or even the people that we love because we want to present some, prevent something worse from taking place. If you believe that, say amen. See, let, let me give you an example if you know something you're not really sure. See, for example, if your loved one had a cancerous tumor in their body, and the only way to remove that tumor was to go through surgery to remove that tumor, would you allow that surgery? Yeah, of course you would. It's not because you love surgery. It's not because you want to see your loved one go through the pain of surgery and recovery. It's because you are preventing something worse from happening by allowing that pain and suffering. And see, sometimes we allow pain and suffering to ourselves or to others because we want to bring about some greater kind of good. Later on, for example, if you have an opportunity to, why don't you go and ask your mom, hey, mom, was it painful giving birth to me? And she'll probably say yes, or she should probably. And then ask her another question. Ask her, if, I, if you could go back in time, Ma, and you could choose, would you still give birth to me? Hopefully her answer is yes, okay? But 
and why is that? It's because the pain of her going through childbirth and going through the weight gain and the mood swings and the pregnancy and, and all that stuff, all that discomfort was not as great as the joy of bringing you into this world. That the pain, the suffering were worth it. What happened is your mom allowed herself to go through suffering so as to bring out about a greater good, and that greater good is you. Amen. And see, what, with that in mind, what greater good could God want to bring by allowing suffering and evil in this world? You see, sometimes I find that God's greater purpose in our suffering is sometimes tough to see. Sometimes it's tough, especially when you're in the thick of something tremendously difficult to see what is the good that God wants to bring out of this. But I'm learning one thing, which is that just because we in our own finite minds can't always see any good reason why God is allowing that kind of suffering in our lives, it doesn't mean that God doesn't have a reason. It doesn't mean that God doesn't have a good a good reason to allow it. That doesn't mean that there isn't a greater good he's trying to accomplish. And though we can't know all of God's reasons for allowing particular evils or special suffering to exist in our lives, today I want to let you know there are three reasons that the Bible mentions for why God generally allows evil and suffering to exist. And I hope you take some good notes today. See, have you ever asked yourself this question of, God, why am I going through this? God, why now? Why me? Have you asked that question before? And see, this is especially important for those of you who are considering faith or you're new to Christianity, is that maybe, you know, you're, you're someone who just recently received Jesus into your life. And let, let me tell you this, is that there is a peace, there is a hope, there's a love, there's a life, there's a purpose in knowing Jesus that the world cannot give. But following Jesus doesn't guarantee a trouble-free life. Is that, is that, in fact, Jesus says himself, he says the opposite. He says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. John 16, And see, Jesus doesn't promise a trouble-free life. In fact, he promises the exact opposite. He says, you will have trouble, but if you will have the right perspective when you face that trouble, if you will change your perspective on trouble and suffering, if you've got Jesus' perspective on the trials you go through, your perspective will make it so much easier for you to go through the trouble that you're going through and to not just go through the trouble, but to grow through that trouble as well. Amen. And see, as, as your pastor here, I would, one of the most important things that I can do is to help you have a biblical perspective on pain and suffering in your life. And so I hope this is really helpful for many of you here who may be going through painful situations or seasons right now. Why don't you write these down? These are three reasons that the Bible talks about of how God allows evil and suffering. And they might not be all the reasons, but these are three big reasons why. First, number one, God allows evil and suffering to refine our character. See, in other words, God loves you just the way that you are. Will you turn to your and say, God loves you just the way you are? God loves you just the way that you are but he loves you too much to let you stay the same. See, God is in the business, even from the very beginning, he has been in the business of making people into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, such that the way we look at life, our attitude, our values, our character, the way we look at ourselves, the way we look at God, the way we treat people is more and more like his perfect son, Jesus Christ. That has always been God's plan from the, one, from the very, very beginning. That's why here at Thrive, one of the parts of the, 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 the key points about our vision is E is for expectant, means want to grow into Christ-like disciples. It's about being more and more like Jesus. And here's the thing, just as a parent refines their child's character through hardship and 
suffering. So God refines our character through hardship and suffering. Look at Hebrews 12, 7 to 11. Read it with me in a big, loud voice. What does it say? It says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we all have had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers discipline us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Everyone say trained by it. Say it again, trained by it. See, God is described here in two ways. One is that he's your heavenly father and he loves you. He always has your best interest in mind. He doesn't hate you. He's not apart from you. He loves you like a heavenly father. Unlike anyone else you ever known, he loves you because you are his child. And not only is God your heavenly father, God is also your personal trainer. He's your trainer. Have you ever worked with a personal trainer before in a gym? I, I went through a, a couple sessions with a personal trainer because I had some back issues and I was trying to figure out what was wrong. And I had a personal trainer who came by my side and who helped me to work on some stuff that I didn't even realize I needed to work on. And, and you're going to find this is that if you've ever worked with a personal trainer before, you know that a personal trainer's job is not to make life easy for you. Your personal trainer's job is, is to put you in situations where you are under some pressure. Not too much pressure so that you break, but just enough pressure so that you grow. And see, that's the way God also refines our character, is that God places you in situations where character traits that he wants to grow in you, he will start to develop in you by putting you under pressure. And so, for example, to teach you how to love, he puts you in situations with people who are a little hard to love. Amen. Some of you are going through that right now. You know, to teach you peace. He puts you in situations where you are tempted to worry and to panic about what's going to happen. To teach you perseverance. He puts you in situations where you just want to give up. You know, to to teach you thankfulness. God places you in situations where all you want to do is complain. And is God being cruel? Is he just kind of like he doesn't care, he's not there? No, God is training you because he's interested in making you more like his son, Jesus Christ. And so he uses suffering, even suffering that he never originally intended for you to go through, hurts that may have been happened to you because of the sins of other people. God not, wouldn't, doesn't desire that for you. He doesn't intend it for you, but he will nonetheless use it for good because that's the kind of God that he is. He will use it to bless you and to ultimately develop you into someone stronger than you've ever been before. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. God is your personal trainer. Turn to your and say, he's my personal trainer. And so here's a question for you this morning. Is that when you look at the number one problem in your life right now, the biggest form of suffering you're going through right now, let me ask this question. What character trait of Jesus is your heavenly father trying to refine in you? This is such an important question because when you know that this suffering I'm going through is not just random, it's not just accidental, it's not for no reason, but God is actually using this situation to refine my character, then all of a sudden what you're going through takes on a greater purpose than before. And so if you know what it is that God is trying to develop in you, that is a huge, huge tool in your tool belt so that you can go through the suffering with a little bit more joy, a little bit more purpose, and a little bit more perseverance. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. 
That's the first reason why God allows us to go through suffering. It says God is refining your character. He's training you. That's the first reason. The second reason is this. The second reason why God allows evil and suffering is to reveal his power through us. You know, one time, you could read about this in John chapter 9, is that Jesus, he's walking with his disciples, and they come across this one man who has been blind from birth. He's never been able to see. And guess what the first thing his disciples say to Jesus? Jesus is standing there looking at this man who's been blind from birth, and his disciples say, hey, Jesus, can you tell us who was the one who sinned so that this man is now blind? Was it him who sinned, or was it his parents who sinned? See, the, the, the disciples were still of that mentality that, oh, everyone's suffering as a result of their own sin, or some, or, or some kind of karma kind of thing that, like, like that. And, 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 and Jesus, his response is this. He says, you know what? Neither one of them sinned to cause the suffering. This happened so the work of God might be displayed in his life. And then Jesus, he goes to the man, he touches the man, he heals the man, he restores his sight, and he can see for the very first time to show that the suffering he went through wasn't the result of his own sin. It wasn't the result of his parents' sin, but it was simply God allowed it so he could reveal his power through it. Amen. Amen. And what's the lesson here? Is that sometimes when God allows suffering, it's ultimately because God is going to use that suffering to write a greater story than you or I could write ourselves. How many of you know that there is no inspiring story where there's not great pain? You know, and that's why, you know, when, whenever I'm looking for illustrations or stories, whether it's my own life or, 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 or the lives of other people to, to, to encourage you and to, and to help you see a point from Scripture, you'll notice that I, I'm not going to just find, you know, I, I'm not going to look for stories where everything goes perfectly as planned and everything is so, you know, hunky-dory and sweet and rosy and everything just goes, because that doesn't bless you. That you're just like, because that's not real life. The fact is this, is that the greatest, most inspiring stories that we will ever hear are ones where there is great struggle. There is a crucifixion before there's a resurrection. There is death before there's life. There is loss before there's joy. There's weeping and mourning before there's laughter and celebration. It's because, you know, God is the greatest of storytellers. And, and, and you might be in this place today and going, God, why are you letting me go through this? What did I do to deserve this? The fact is this, God is writing a greater story through your suffering than you could ever imagine yourself. And see, one passage I often go to when I'm going through a tough time is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 to 10. And there you've got a guy called the Apostle Paul, who used to be the most anti-Christian guy in the world, and he became one of the greatest missionaries. And what he did was he, he went through the most private kind of suffering he's ever been through. So private that we don't even know exactly what that suffering was. He doesn't talk about it to the depth of detail which would allow us to understand what exactly it was, but he talks about it as a thorn in his flesh. And he says that, God, God, would you please take it away? And this is how God responded to him. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10 with me right now. What does it say? Read it with me. It says, to keep me from becoming conceited, because these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then... I'm strong. You know, whenever I go through suffering, whenever it's a really tough time in my life, the promise I hang on to more than any other is verse 9. Can you go to verse 9? 
What does it say? Would you read it with me one more time? It says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. See, God, you know, it's kind of saying, you know, God, thank you that as difficult as this problem is in my life right now, thank you that your grace is sufficient for me. Thank you that your power is going to be made perfect in my weakness. And so I'll hang on to that, knowing that the suffering is not without a purpose. God is going to reveal his power through it. If you believe that, say amen. Romans 8.28 says it this way. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. See, the Bible says that in all things, everyone say all things. In all things, that means big things, small things, joyful things, sad things. It means, you know, loss, heartbreak, grief, sickness, crisis. You know, all these things that we may go through. God works in all things, even those things, for good. And if you are going through a tough time today in your marriage, with your kids, in your family, with your health, with the health of someone you love, in your finances, concerning your future, then you got to understand and know this is that God, your heavenly father, is working all things out for good. Is that the reason God's allowing you to go through suffering today is not because he's not there, it's not because he doesn't care, but it's because God wants to reveal his power to you and through you to others because his power is made perfect in weakness. Amen. Amen. And so you know what, that's why you know who the best people are to counsel those who've lost uh, a child? It's those who've lost a child. You know, the, the, the best people to, 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 you know, be, to counsel those who are going through cancer? It's those who've gone through cancer. You know, the, the best people to go through a, a devastating, you know, time in their life where everything was swept away and now they have to start from scratch. You know, the best people to counsel those people is people who've gone through exactly the same thing. And, and so the fact is God never wastes a hurt and he never wastes suffering. He always allows it because he's got a greater purpose in mind. It's to show his power in and through your life. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. That's what God wants to do in and through you. Number three, God allows evil and suffering to remind us that earth is not our final home, that heaven is waiting for us. You know, the saddest funeral I've ever been to was for a little boy called Timmy, about five years old, and uh, he died of leukemia. And I can still remember being in that service, uh, and I remember it like it was yesterday. I can remember there was um, a a little kid-sized coffin in the middle of the memorial chapel on, the, on, this, on this kind of very kind of beige-looking kid-sized coffin. There's this, this, this banner on top that says, Love you, Mom and Dad. Um, it was the most heartbreaking funeral I'd ever been a part of. And, you know, for me, it was one of those things where I, I remember the, the, the parents were our friends. And uh, I remember Pastor Charlene and I, we, for a couple years, had been really trying to reach out to this family because they didn't go to church and, you know, they, 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 they didn't know Jesus and, and, and all that. And, and, and we'd been trying to reach out to them. We'd, we'd, we'd go and you'd, we'd, we'd try to do the little, invite them to little things and all that stuff. And, and when their son, Timmy, got sick, um, we're like, oh, man, all right. Okay, let, let's, let's pray. And, and you know, praise God. In, in our church, we've seen prayer is effective. Prayer works. We've seen God heal through prayer, but not all the time. And, and in this case, you know, this boy called Timmy, he was sick with leukemia. He went uh, through various types of procedures. Uh, eventually, he passed away. And there was a part of me that thought, how will his mom and dad ever believe in God now? There's that part of that faithless part of me that thought, you know, God, like, how's, how's this going to work now? 
And amazingly, it was uh, at their funeral where the, the mom and dad, they got up and they, they said a message to everyone. They said, we thank you all for coming, but more than that, we want to thank God for our son because it is through our son, Timmy, and his sickness that we got to know Jesus Christ. Because unbeknownst to me, they had already started to attend a church. And unbeknownst to me, they'd actually received Jesus Christ in the middle of their time of, of, of caring for their, friend, of their son in the midst of his battling leukemia. Is that they came to know Jesus, their little boy came to know Jesus, and they said in their final message, that we're thankful that one day we can be with our son again in heaven. And, and, and you know, for me, when I, when I heard that, it, it floored me. Because I thought to myself, you know, our natural inclination as human beings is to place all of our stock in what happens in this life. We think that there, all there is is right now, right here. And we think we put all of our eggs in this basket. We put all of our hope in what happens now. And we want perfect happiness now. We want perfect comfort now. We want perfect security now. But what if, what if God's goal for your life was not so much to secure your happiness on earth for a temporary time, but to secure your happiness for eternity in heaven? What if God's focus was actually not so much on earth as if earth is the the be-all and end-all of everything and your ultimate destination, but what if God in his sovereignty decided that, you know what, earth is going to be preparation for heaven. That earth is just preparation for eternity. That's why Jesus says, don't store your treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store your treasures in heaven. Why? It's because Jesus' focus is on bringing people to heaven. See, that's why Jesus would say in John chapter 14, 2 to 3, I think we have it on the screen as well. Can you read it with me? What does Jesus say? He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. I remember when Bradley was still growing up as, you know, a toddler, we'd, we'd sing the song together. In my father's house are many mansions, many mansions in my father's house. And it's talking about this verse where Jesus is saying, in my father's house there are many rooms, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. See, Jesus' focus was not, I want you to have such a happy, blessed life on earth. His focus was, I want you to have happiness forever in heaven. That's, that was his focus. He was, he, he was like, you know, and, 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 and what I've learned is that sometimes, sometimes, God will use the earth time that we have as a dress rehearsal for heaven time. It's saying, you know, and, and you don't address rehearsal, you know, not everything's perfect. In fact, a lot is not perfect. And, and, and in fact, sometimes, you know, st- stuff will stop and st- like start and stop and there'll be interruptions and, and there'll be, you know, messiness and all that stuff. That's, that's life on earth. And, and, but it's a dress rehearsal. It's preparation for something greater in heaven. See, Jesus is more focused on you being happy forever in heaven than you being happy temporarily on earth. And that's not to say there's no joy. There's great joy. There's greater joy knowing Jesus on earth than there is knowing anything else on earth. But it's nothing compared to the joy of heaven. And see, that's why God sent Jesus Christ, not to live a comfortable life here on earth, an example for, oh, this is how you can live your life on earth. But Jesus came and he died the most gruesome death so that through his death and through his sacrifice on earth, our sins could be forgiven so that we could be restored to God, forgiven of our sins, reconciled to God, not just for now, but for eternity. And so whenever you experience suffering, 
or evil during this lifetime on earth, let it be a reminder, we're not home yet. We're just on the way. We're not home yet. Heaven is waiting. And see, it's with that in mind. We just looked at three reasons the Bible talks about why God allows evil and suffering. One is to refine you. One is to remind you. And the third is to reveal his power through you. With that in mind, with heaven in mind, there's a second myth that Jesus tried to tackle with the people he was talking to on that day in Luke chapter 13. And what is that myth? That myth is I can get to God and heaven on my own, on my own merit, by my own performance, by my own power. And see, the people in Jesus' day, they, they're talking to Jesus about what happened to other people and how bad those other people might have been. And, and they assume that they're fine with God. They assume that, you know what, we're destined for heaven, we're good. You know, we're, 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 compared to others, we're decent people. You know, compared to others, you know, we don't, we don't do the stuff that other people do. Those are bad Jews. We're good Jews. You know, those are bad people. We're good people. Thank God we're not like those people. And, and see, they, back then, the, the people talking to Jesus, they had this very us versus them kind of mentality. And Jesus comes at them with this challenge and challenges their perspective. Look at verse 2. What does he say? He says, Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. See, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying this, guys, girls, don't think that you're any better than the people who got killed in that temple or the people who fell underneath that tower. The fact is, you're all in the same boat. And the only reason why it wasn't you in that temple, the only reason why it wasn't you under that tower is simply because of the grace and mercy of God. It's not because you were any better than them. And see, in our day, you know, you, you, we, we hear this kind of attitude being expressed often. You know, I, I hear it in the gym. I hear it in coffee shops. I hear it at dinner parties. You know, people talking about politicians or people who are celebrities. And, you know, and, 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 you know we can fall into this trap sometimes too of talking about, oh, oh he's such a bad person. That, per- that girl is such a bad person. Oh, that, that politician is such a bad person. And, and we have all sorts of names for them and all sorts of different languages of how bad we think they are. As, as if to say, they're so immoral, we're so moral. You know, they're such monsters, we're so decent. You know, they're so barbaric, we're so civilized. They're so scary, we're so inclusive. And, and, and see, then people who think that way, and, and us included when we do it, is that we assume that, you know, we're, it's an us and them thing. Thing. They're the bad ones. We're the good ones. Jesus comes at all that and says, you know what? You're all in the same boat. You're all in the same boat. You all need to repent. It's not like we've got some good people here in the world. We've got some bad people here in the world. You know, you know why? If you ask Jesus, why, don't, why do bad things happen to good people? Do you know what Jesus' response would be? He would say, you know, um, it, that, that's not true. Bad things don't happen to good people because there are no good people. That's what Jesus would say. He would say, no one is good, not even one, only God. That's God's standard. God's standard is perfection. Good equals perfect. And so for God, it's not like, oh, you're either you're a good person or you're a bad person. And you're, if you're in the good camp, then congratulations, you can earn your way to heaven. If you're in a bad camp, if you're Hitler, if you're Nasser, if you're, you're, if you're you know, Mussolini, if you're, if you're some kind of serial rapist, uh, if you're a sexual predator, then you're a bad person. But if you're just a decent person who just kind of you know, does their own thing and tries to, tries to do good and tries not to hurt people, then you're a good person. Therefore, you're going to heaven. You're not. See, Jesus doesn't do that. He says, you know what? You all need to repent. 
says, we're all in the same boat. And that's why Jesus didn't die on the cross for just a select few people, like the Nasters and the Hitlers of this world. He died for every single one of us because we all need a Savior. And see, the biggest lie that people in our world believe, the biggest lie, it is the biggest lie that more people believe in this world than any other lie is that we are good enough to get to God on our own. That we are good enough to get to heaven by our own merit. And, and see, that is a myth. What is the truth? The truth is all of us are sinners in need of a Savior. Every single one of us. And if you think that Jesus came just to be a good teacher, tell us to be moral people, then you've totally misunderstood the reason why Jesus came. See, Jesus came to show us we need a Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. See, that's why he says, unless you repent, you too will all perish. What does repent mean? What does repent mean? Everyone say repent. What does repent mean? To repent means to acknowledge our sin to God. Say, I admit I'm a sinner, and it's to turn from our sin with God's help. That's what it means to repent. Repent is a head, heart, and foot issue. It's that in your head, you agree with God, yes, I've sinned. I agree I've made mistakes that I can't erase. In your heart, you're like, you know what? I feel remorse for that. I feel bad about that. With my feet, I say, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm turning in another direction, and with God's help, I will. That is what repentance is, and Jesus says, unless you do that, you too will all perish, and to illustrate our urgent need to repent, Jesus tells this parable. Look at verse 6. What verse 6 says, read it with me in a big loud voice. One, two, three, it says, then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. And what can we learn from this parable? Let me tell you what we learned from this parable. We're going to end right now. Is that like the owner of this fig tree, God has every right to cut us down and to cut us off and to wipe us out because of our sin. He has every right to do so because no one is good except for God. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of our sin is death. What we deserve is to be cut off. But fortunately for us, there's a caretaker who stepped in on our behalf and said, no, just give it a little bit more time. Let me do some work. Let me fertilize it. Let me dig around it. And let's see how they respond to my work. That caretaker, his name is Jesus. Jesus stepped in and he did work on our behalf that we could not do. He lived the perfect life, the life that met all of God's requirements, a life that only God in the flesh could live. And then he died a sinner's death. He died on the cross, not for his own sins, but for your sins and my sins so that our debt against God could be canceled. And not only did he die, but to show that you could trust what Jesus says, that Jesus is not just some other religious teacher who said a whole bunch of things about God, made a whole bunch of claims, and then died. You never heard from him again, never knew if they said what was true. Jesus came back to prove that what he said says you can absolutely count on. Jesus Christ came, he died, he rose again to show that because Jesus Christ is alive, we can put our trust in him and through Jesus Christ we have forgiveness for every sin because Jesus Christ is the son of God. Come on, give God a big big hand here in this place together right now. 
And so now it's not about my work and what a fig tree can do to get to God. Now it's about responding to the work that Jesus Christ has already done for us. Finally, you know, this parable shows us one last thing, is that God is patient and merciful. He's a God who gives second chances. But notice, God will not wait forever for us to respond to Jesus. He won't wait forever. He gives us, in the the parable, he says, I've waited three years, I'll give you one more year. I'll give you one more year. He's being more than fair. He's being generous. He's being merciful, but he's not going to be a pushover. He's going to give you a little bit more time, a little bit more time to respond to him. And so that's why I want to encourage you here in this place today, is that if you have never repented of sin, if you've never come to God and said, God, I admit that I'm a sinner and I need you, if you've been relying on the myth that you can somehow get to God and heaven on your own merit, then I'm here to let you know that Jesus Christ has a better way for you. That Jesus Christ came so that he could, by his work, bring you back to God. That's what Jesus came to do. And that's effective what people today are going to be doing later on through baptism. They're saying, I need a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. We want to give people an opportunity today to respond to Jesus. And so I'm going to encourage everyone to stand here in this place right now. Have you guys learned something here in this place this morning? Yeah? Why don't you stand to your feet right now? I invite the worship band to come up to the front. We're going to sing a song, and I'm going to lead you in prayer as a way for us to respond to the love of God today. And so I invite you right now to sing this song with us. After that, we're going to lead you in prayer and respond to God's great love. Let's do that together right now. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to God's great and amazing love today. See, today we talked about two myths that people had back then when they were talking with Jesus that many people have here even today. And the first one is this, is that I can get to heaven on my own. I can get to God by myself. I don't need a savior. I don't need someone's help. I can do it because I'm a decent person. I'm a good person. And I'm here to let you know today that it's time for a change of perspective. It's time to realize that if what the Bible says is true, and if Jesus truly rose from the grave, what that means is your perspective is wrong. And that what you need to do is realize there's no way you can get to heaven on your own that what you need is a savior to save you from your sins. And if you would be willing to do that today, the Bible says, if you're willing to open up your heart to Jesus, the Bible says that by God's work in your life, by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross of your sins, you can be forgiven of your sins. That it's 100% forgiveness, past, present, future. It's not based on what you did. It's not something you earned. It's simply because God loves you with an unconditional and amazing love. And so if that's you and you realize you need forgiveness from God, you want to repent today of sin, I'm going to invite you today just to just lift your hand to God as a response to him as we respond to him together right now and so if that's you want just lift your hand to God today if you realize you need forgiveness from God today if you realize that you need a savior and his name is Jesus want you lift your hand to God today if there's sins you need to repent of today and just acknowledge and confess before God today I want you to lift up your hand to God right now and we're just going to respond to God right now and just before I lead you in prayer I want you to start praying to God right now and start just confessing whatever sins you need to confess of today sins of commission sins of omission sins that you did sins of stuff you didn't do sins of maybe stuff you said some stuff that you thought you can come before God today if you confess your sins he's faithful and just will forgive us the sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness so right now why don't you do that right now 
with your hands raised, just, just, just give God those things. You say, God, I confess, you know, my worry. I confess my pride. I confess, you know, lust in my heart. I confess, you know, my anger, my hatred, my unforgiveness. You just confess these things to God today. Just repent of sin. Just repent of sin. We thank you, Jesus. And you can pray this prayer with me. Keep your hands raised right now. You can say, Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus thank you. For your amazing love, how you died on the cross to pay for my sins, how you rose again to give me life, to prove that your love for me is unconditional. It doesn't change. And so I open up my heart. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and make me a new person today. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Would you give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now?